All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's science in between. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And this is episode, we think, we're pretty reasonably certain, <laughs> that's 64. With plus or minus two. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm and Scott. It, and I'm Ollie. And what are we talking about today, Uncle Scott? I don't know. <laughs> dinosaurs? That's no, weird. we are not talking about dinosaurs. That's funny because we were we were talking about just dinosaurs before the show. That was the show before the show. We should start recording that as bonus content for like our insiders. <laughs> for the for the two people that the <laughs> podcast itself isn't enough suffering, they want a little more. They're like, hey, I got an idea. Let's listen yeah, that, to ten more minutes of inane <laughs> jibber jabber. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because that's that's one of the things that uh, a lot of podcasts are doing now. They have the, you yeah. know, the the podcast you get like for free and then yeah. you could subscribe <laughs> as an insider. You can pay extra. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or you can pay. I guess it's not paid extra. You can yeah. you, you can pay to have the the bonus content where we talk about the real meaty stuff, which, you know, not not to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm going to anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm so, listening to a, uh, the new Slow Burn podcast, which mm-hmm. has to do with uh, the Rodney King uh, trial and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are doing like almost half of their episodes for insiders and then half of their. So I'm like wondering how that works from a scheduling standpoint. Like, like how, how does somebody have to plan all that out? I mean. I mean, we well, struggle even, so even much from a with, story. How would you I know? Do? Like, it's like every other episode, you just don't find out what happened. So you're like, or do you, episode. yeah, I don't know. Like I, we, we struggle with our planning now. Could you imagine yes. how we would, you know, yeah. you'd have to dedicate lots of time and energy to scheduling out. Yeah. I, w- I will say this weekend, I, I was talking with some friends of mine who, who um, actually listened to the podcast and wow. I know, right. <laughs> And they're like, how much, how much time do you spend planning like in any given week for the podcast? Like, is it two hours, three hours? I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, that's, yes. Right. <laughs> that's yes. right. I mean, I wake up, <laughs> I, I roll downstairs and then I talk about dinosaurs for five minutes <laughs> with Ali before we record. So, I mean, don't, yes. Don't demystify this oh, sorry. No. For, for our listening audience. Copious right, so t- notes. I, I'm on Wiki, Wikipedia for hours at a time yes. trying to figure stuff out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I think w- what what it is is you and I are just in, engaged people. We're constantly reading and you know engaging with mm. the content around us. And so when we get together mm. and we're like, oh, we're going to talk about this, we just tap into that part of our brains that you know had access to that content. You know, mm. learned about it. We right. also have lots of smart friends. So and that that all are that's so push- true. They're pushing us and challenging us, and it's awesome. It is awesome yeah. to be surrounded. I would say if if there was a piece of advice I'd give someone, it's like surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. You know, mm. that's like like the the thing that you know has helped helped me. Yeah, and for some of you, that's easier than others. Yeah, it's really easy for me to find smarter people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today we are talking about. <laughs> We are talking about if we were to change schools, what yeah. would we change and how would we, how would we change them? And this is like going back, I guess this is going to draw upon like lots of the content we've talked about um, over the last, I don't know, 63 episodes or so. Um, plus because, or minus two. Plus or minus seven. Because <laughs> um, what, what we want, we're thinking about is like, you and I spend a lot of time in schools and, and I would say that schools, you know, say for, you know, uh, different curtains or different types of furniture or something like that, you know, maybe they have, you know, interactive whiteboards and not instead of chalkboards or, you know, but I mean, essentially they're very much the same as the schools you and I went through, you know, 30 years ago. And if you were to walk into a school, I mean, I guess that's one of those old tropes that they say, if you, you know, you could take somebody from like the 1900s and take them anywhere and they'd be amazed at how different things were except for schools, because schools are essentially the same. And there's still people lined up in seats. There's still chairs and desks, and they're not using what the, the horn book, right? No. no. <laughs> you know, but there no. are, the, the iPad is basically a horn book, right? It's, you know, yep. it's just a little more interactive than that. And, you know, and so it's, 
essentially unchanged. So you and I are going to wrestle with that today. If we were to change schools and change it from the standpoint of what we know about science instruction, you know, what would you change? So we came up with a couple of topics we wanted to, you know, start with. And I think the, the big one for you and, and for me too is, is the sequencing, like how we sequence content. And yeah. 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 I mean, just even, even structure of content, right? Like the, <clears throat> the idea that, um, you know, when we start talking about phenomenon-based learning and, and teaching, the idea that <clears throat> things cleanly fit in bins of, yeah. of particular content starts to get real difficult to hold on to, right? Like it's, the, I'm not saying there aren't things that you can't investigate using only physics, but what I'm saying is when you talk about real things in the world, it's often mixes when you're trying to explain it, it's often mixes of different domain expertise that's required for that explanation. So physics, biology, chemistry, earth and space science, these things are all connected to each other. And the idea that they should be taught separately as these um, sort of silos of content is, you know, from us, from a, I understand why those silos exist in um, at sort of our level at higher education, right? Because scholars are doing research in particular areas, um, and and those areas are are narrow because they need to be because in order to do research in an area, you have to be able to be narrow so you can go deep. Um, but that's not what we want from kids, like just ordinary kids going through school. We want them to have a broad notion of science, and. But the structure of our schooling is almost entirely based, if not entirely based, on the the disciplinary boundaries that have been created in the process of doing research in higher education. And before that, when it was just, you know, natural science, when it was just like rich white guys wandering around making stuff up. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, that's. We, we talked about this in a, a, a few episodes, oh, maybe like 30 episodes ago, when we talked about the Committee of Ten, which I would, you know, I think we yeah. should get in the habit of when we talk about the Committee of Ten, we should say the Committee of Ten White Men, yeah. you know, because that's old, 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 mostly old, old. Yeah. yes, um, because I think that's really important. <clears throat> and if you're, you know, if you didn't catch that episode, uh, this is from, I don't know, like the 1890s, early 1900s, something like that. They, they gathered these 10 white men from a variety of colleges and they all, you know, Harvard and university of Michigan and, you know, a bunch of other places. And they're like, okay, you know, if we were to design schools, what would the content be? And I would say it's probably, um, we see it mostly in science, but they, they were not just limited to science. They looked at other things too. They pretty much outlined all of school from, you know, English to math, to, to science, to, you know, everything, and said, this is the order in which things should be taught. It, and these aren't like disciplinary experts. Some of these were just folks who were the presidents or, you know, principals of schools or something. And it's just like, they set it down, set it yep. down for law. And here we are, you know, 130 years later, still doing it, you know? Right. So, so just so we, we fact check ourselves. So we're, we're careful not to, because sure. to, I, it, and it's worth listing this too. So, so they were um, the National Education Association uh, in, in 1980, uh, 1892 formed the Committee of Ten. Um, and yep, here, here's who they were Charles William Elliott, president of Harvard, William T. Harris, commissioner of education, at federal. Um, James B. Angle, president of the University of Michigan, John Tetlow, headmaster of the Girls High School in Boston, Massachusetts, James M. Taylor, president of Vassar College, Oscar D. Robinson, principal of the, the high school, Albany, New York, James Baker, president of the University of Colorado, Richard Jesse, uh, president of the University of Missouri, James McKenzie, headmaster of the Lawrenceville School in New Jersey, and Henry King, a professor uh, in Oberlin College. So that was the Committee of Ten. White men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all from higher education and all with that sort of orientation to the world, right? And so, yeah, their their job was to... <clears throat> Their job was to lay out English, math, history, civics, science uh, uh, in terms of the academic years, right? The practices of teaching these things. Um, and they, well, I mean, yeah, there was a couple ahead. of folks in there that were like, you know, representing high schools. So there was, you know, a, you know, mm -hmm. one person, uh, 
two folks who are representing high school. And I would say, say for, you know, somebody who's from the University of uh, Missouri and the person who's from the University of Colorado is very Northeastern focused. I mean, it was like, so there was that, you know, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts. I mean, Michigan is, you know, Midwest, but I mean, yeah. not much, right? It's not like, much, not much. You know, and so I mean, that that's the challenge is that this has been a perspective that has, you know, permeated through education, say for like a couple, you know, spots here and there where, you know, someone is revolutionary and saying, you know what, let's just blow up schools. But that's the challenge. And, and we, we think that could be de- done better. I mean, I personally, I mean, there's, you know, there's the physics first movement. Um, if you're unfamiliar with this, this is like a, a movement that was probably p- pretty popular, maybe like 15, 20 years ago. I don't know how popular it is now, but it was like, hey, physics should be taught first in high school because mm-hmm. it's some of the most conceptual stuff that you can do. And it can really get at developing the students understanding of how science works mm-hmm. right because it's stuff that they can do and experiment with and you know do inquiry based things in a classroom pretty easily and test things whereas biology and chemistry those things are harder to do right well and, and also so- the idea was that physics is and physicists would say this too right more fundamental it's about yeah. fundamental interactions and therefore from that you can naturally build out chemistry and and from chemistry you can naturally build out towards biology because those systems become more and more complex physics does strip away a lot of that complexity and just sort of ignore it or or you know pre- pretend that it it's not important right yeah so what 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 that does is by by teaching biology first and then teaching in high school so biology first it basically becomes an information dump it basically, in, in most schools, is like memorizing all of this stuff. And then physics becomes an applied math course, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and, and chemistry is something in between. It's kind of like flavors of both, yep. right? Yep. And, and so even that restructuring, which is pretty radical for the schools that have done it, you know, radically changes how physics is taught and also how biology is taught. Well, to be fair, though, it... To be fair, it, it, to be fair, <laughs> uh, it has the potential to make changes, but yeah, I right, think the right. reality is it does change physics. It changes physics because students don't have the same level of mathematics background if you right. teach it in ninth grade versus eleventh or twelfth grade, right? Because no matter how your math curriculum is organized, kids in eleventh and twelfth grade have more of it than kids in right. ninth grade. So, so it forces physics to become a more algebraic version of itself, a more conceptual, um, and to re- rely less on calculus. And, and so it does change physics, but th- I, I think most of the evidence for the physics first movement is that it doesn't change biology and chemistry very right. much, if at all, because those folks still are teaching their classes, right? You tell the chemistry teacher that they're teaching, you know, 10th graders instead of 11th graders are like, okay, fine. I'm going to teach, you know, but it has the potential to like, then, sure. you know, it would, it would allow you to draw on all of the physics concepts in chemistry and physics, I mean, chemistry and biology. And right. that, that is, that would give more, I don't know, threading across the content area. But right? here's, That's, here's the caveat, right? Like for, right. for that to happen, what also has to happen is that physics needs to be seen as, a science whose purpose is to explain actual phenomena. And it, right. that's not what the physics first movement did. Physics yeah. first really just said, well, we're going to, I mean, it made it more conceptual. So there's an argument there that it's a little bit more like that, but, but it's not really um, like, if you think of like the Hewitt book and some of the, the books that were used as the foundation of the physics first movement, they, it's not like they were radically different. The, there was just less math, right. you know, the, the problems were more descriptive and, um, but they were still s- similar problems. So like even the modeling stuff, like the modeling stuff, which was pretty radical too, for yeah. changing how physics was taught. So the ma- modeling stuff was that, you know, they would use sensors and things to show um, the common, you know, mathematical models that re- like that emerge from different physical right. phenomenon. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, you would see parabolas and you would see linear, you know, lines right. and things. Yeah. And so, but even that was just, again, kind of an applied math course, right? I mean, it's, you know, yeah, showing just with, s- with different kinds of math. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so if we're just like, let's, let's just throw it all out there. Okay. No physics first, no committee of 10 white men. Yeah. What would we do instead? How would you, how would you change it, Scott? So, yeah, I mean, I think how I would change it would be to organize science curriculum around a, a set or series of phenomenon that kids are going to investigate. I mean, you know, part of it is, you know, all these things are so interconnected. It's like changing one piece. Like, how do you change just one piece? Like, because if you, even if you do that, like if we take that as, as the best case scenario, right, what is likely to happen if you do that is you're going to pick a a set of phenomenon that then everybody is going to investigate. So all the kids in, in every high school in the country are going to investigate the same series of phenomena that that are sequenced and then maybe there's a textbook with it and then maybe there's an assessment that goes with it and so you know it's 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 very quickly you slide into like okay well we had this radical new re-envisioning of high schools and then it's like oh or it's just a new version of the of the same thing it's just slightly different and and people get angry then like why do we do all this change because it's the same thing Sorry, that that really wasn't the the, <laughs> no. the purpose of this conversation is not to be a negative Nancy, uh, which is what I just did. But don't trash talk Nancys out there. There might Sorry. be a Nancy listening yeah. right now. Many many good Nancys. There are some awesome. But negative Nancy is not the one that you yeah. run around. Negative. No, I, I I see. You know, maybe there being. You know, I really like the idea of uh, creating this or, or a curriculum or a, a scaffolded curriculum around phenomena. Um, I think maybe doing this and saying, okay, that students at this grade level should be able to discuss like one, like giving options, like a, a variety of options, you know, and then, and then moving them to like the next, you know, series of ones. I think that, you know, having some sorts of, you know, local control, right. Some, mm-hmm. you know, giving teachers some local ability to be able to be responsive to their students that they're working with in the environments they're working in, I think is important. However, um, we also need to provide some sort of, I don't know, options, guidance, you know, so I think that having, you know, some sort of curriculum that is a little more guided, but also uh, with some, you know, options too, I think is, is the important thing. But I think that the, we see that right now, students aren't getting a really holistic picture of what science looks like. They mm-hmm. have biology and they have chemistry and they have these things in in these bins these boxes like you said and that's not the way these topics work that's not the way science works right and i think you you know you've hit on what is arguably the fundamental tension in education which is the the tension between a responsive curriculum that actually takes into account the students that are present in the classroom when you're right. learning and so that's one side of the tension. The other side of the tension is some consistency and set of goals that we're going to have for all students everywhere in the country or everywhere in our district or everywhere in the state or whatever it is, right? Standards being one manifestation of that. It doesn't have to be the only manifestation, but but there's this tension between, you know, everybody needs some set of stuff that they all have to have, and we want classrooms to be responsive and and be a reflection of the kids that are in the room and the right. teacher that's with them and that's hard and it's you know and this is why public schools are particularly hard because in public schools there's one teacher and many students right like a typical high school teacher has probably between 120 and 150 students right however the school is organized that's their in any given year they have that many students that's very different than if you have two kids in your house right yeah so um so that fundamental tension between like okay how do you scale up from well i have just my two kids i'm going to teach them science and then we can investigate whatever we want because it doesn't matter because they're my kids and we'll do whatever we want and having 150 kids and then those 150 kids being part of a system that is that is national yeah so it's it's hard and and so these reimaginings um i i mean i think they're important because we have to think about how schools can get better but we also have to recognize schools are massive cultural institutions that have lots of 
components to them. And so, you know, changing from 45 minute periods to block schedule. Yeah. I mean, that changes stuff, but you know, fundamentally, does it change stuff? Right. Well, I was, I was saying this before the, the show that, cause that's one of the things we talked about was the organization of the school day yeah, is, right. you know, how do we change that? And, you know, I'm in a school that is, I'm, I'm been in a school a lot this semester um, where the, the principals, the leadership there has been working really hard to change the schedule. And, and the, the, I would say one of the challenges is that the schedule's changed at least four times since the start of the semester, start of the academic year. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. With, you know, they're adding SEL stuff, social emotional learning um, into the school. And so they've added a dedicated period for that once per week. They've also added some, um, some remediation time, which they're calling win periods, what, like what I need so that students can go if they're, you know, they know that something's coming up that they're going to be away for a few days. They can meet with individual teachers there, or if they're struggling in the content area, they can meet with the teacher there. So it really provides some additional supports for students. It's great. It's, it's really, but I would, I think a little bit about how teachers or students are working through that. And specifically, they've reduced the number of, they used to have like, I think, nine periods in a day. And they reduced the school day down to, I think, six. Mm, and they're 50, like seven minutes long. And so they're almost an hour long. And it's like, wow. And this is a middle school. And I I, I want to make sure I, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, um, I appreciate how innovative they are in trying to do things differently. However, just changing when the bell rings is not going to drive innovation. Right. Right. And, and it, yeah. It goes back to that. There, it's an interconnected system. Right. And so the bells are ringing differently. However, if it doesn't change practice or you haven't supported the teachers in the school to think about how that can change practice. And I, I don't know, they could have done some professional development uh, to support that change. And so I don't want to like poo poo them. Um, mm-hmm. But in the same sense, you know, I've been in schools and I've been watching, you know, observing teachers and my interns teaching and, and uh, their uh, mentors teaching. And the, you know, it comes back to that death march with fun sauce, right? If mm-hmm. it's 57 minutes of like death march, it is rough. If you're like a seventh grader, who is already pretty rammy, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, like the, the middle school here that the folks that I work with, like they're on block schedule. So they have, it's like 80 minutes um, wow. a day with their kids. And that's every other day. Cause that's the way the block schedule is set up at least here. But, um, but they like, uh, yeah, if it was 80 minutes of lecture, I can't even imagine. Right. Like, I, I cannot imagine what that would be like to be a sixth grader sitting through 80 minutes of lecture. And I doubt any teachers are are doing that. They're doing something. Now, whether it's, whether it's just fun sauce, like, okay, I'm going to give you a five-minute break to play Minecraft. Um, so we'll do a 45-minute lecture and then a five-minute break and then a 35-minute lecture and, and then a five-minute break. But... Um, but like, that's not what's happening with the science teachers that I work sure. with. They're, they're taking full advantage of that time um, and yeah, still and I, giving kids breaks. Right. I think the important thing is what do you do with that time? Yeah. Cause it's not like, if you're just changing the, when the bells ring and the teachers are just teaching and talking at students, then, then that's not that the bell is it, not changing anything. It's no. actually th- making life more difficult for students. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's changing practice and making um, the space more collaborative, making the space more conversational, increasing the, the discourse and dialogue that's happening in the classrooms, that's powerful stuff. And if it's in science, if we can use that to, you know, examine, you know, phenomenon and, and really try to get at what, what the scientific, you know, concepts are at play and, and developing ways to investigate that and, you know, evidence-based argumentation, you know, that's awesome stuff. Right. But if it's not happening, if that, then it's 80 minutes of death march. Yeah. And I think you've, you've gotten to another like fundamental point that we've talked about in a lot of ways in this, um, in our conversations over, over the, the 62 plus or minus two episodes (laughs) that we've been talking, right. Which is, um, 
that practice change in practice is hard. Change in practice takes time and change in practice takes a lot of intentionality, right? Yeah. And and we we being the royal we, whatever, like people who have been involved in schools have always sought, and this is a, this is maybe not even an American thing, maybe this is a human thing, have always sought simple solutions to these complex problems. And and this, you know, so okay, we're gonna we're gonna rearrange the school day and have block scheduling. Okay. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. There's there's positives in that. So, but to your point, like if that's not part of a whole system change, uh, then all all you're doing is changing one little thing and thinking it's gonna change everything. It's like, you know, the technology thing is a classic right. example of this, right? It's like, okay, we're going to put laptop carts in every room. Like, fantastic. And for what? Well, you know, it's going to make practice so much better. Kids can be much more interactive. Kids are going to love school because now they're using technology. Like, they, like practice, if we really think about practice from a, from a learning theory, like a deep sociocultural notion, like it's everything. It's the whole thing, how you talk to each other, how the school day is structured, what the focus of school is, what the outcomes are that we anticipate for these, for these uh, environments. Like all of that is wound up in a big package and, and just tweaking one little thing doesn't change the culture. Like it just doesn't. Um, So, um, so, so the only way into this is really radical, right? Um, and, and that doesn't mean like burn the schools to the ground. I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> that sounds it, like, it sounds like what you're saying. Scott. Well, it, yeah. And, and there's a lot of technology people who that is their solution. Like, especially yeah. in the, in the nineties, there was into the early two thousands, there was a lot, there were a lot of people who were like, look, this is like the unschooling movement. I'm just going to put my kid in front of a computer and right. they're going to teach themselves all they need to know. And it's like, well, that is a position of such outrageous privilege that I, you don't even know how to grapple with it. Right. It's like, but, um, but it also fundamentally misunderstands all sorts of things about the way that people learn. So I don't know, man, I, I I guess, you know, one of the things that's kind of driving in my head as we're talking about this is I guess it comes back to what is the purpose of schools, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think that the purpose of schools today may be very different than the purpose of schools a hundred years ago. And I think it's, you know, especially public schools, you know, because that's where you and I work and that's where you and I have spent like our time, not only as, you know, as educators, but also as students, right? I have a public school background. You have a public school background. Mm-hmm. I have a public school experience as a teacher. That's like where I've spent all of my time in public schools. And so I think a lot about that. And that's a topic that is really forefront in a lot of national conversations now is like, what do we do with public schools and what gets taught there and what's the purpose of it? And I think that, you know, if it is to have an educated citizenry, which is hard word for me to say, (laughs) people and citizens, people who are citizens, yes, who are people, people who are people. Uh, If if that's the purpose, if that is the purpose of it, then what does that mean for science? Because I think for, for me, it is how do we help them? How do we educate them to understand evidence and what evidence brings and like, and like, cause you know, the, if they're inundated, our citizenry, did I do better that time? Yeah, it is, is, be, is being inundated with lots of things, lots of information. And the critical thing for them, I think the way that we educate people today is that they recognize what is good information and what is bad information how mm-hmm. to be how to be critical about the information that they interact with and i think that's where science is the most important part is that what how how science makes arguments and how science makes decisions is different than you know so many other disciplines right. and and i think and that, that's the value of science Right. And it, I think that brings it all back to like thinking about schools again. Right. So, so the idea is like, if that's what we want, 
even even yes. if what we want beyond that is we want people to be scientists too because we want some people to be scientists i mean that's a that's a that's that should be a goal too that's a goal i have as a science educator i want people to be scientists um but i also want an an educated citizenry and and um and but what that means is that schools should be about practice right and this is i i know we've said this a million times but practice. but like this yeah but this idea that like schools should be about content it's like content is necessary i'm not saying kids shouldn't learn content what i'm saying is when we emphasize content over practice we yeah. lose the idea that really what we want is how do people engage intelligently with information and that is not done by just reading off a bunch of information to them. Like the way that you get better and intelligently engaging with information in a scientific way or any other way is by engaging with the information and being supported while you're doing it and having that task be scaffolded and supported initially, and then slowly becoming more independent about it. I mean, it really is. That's what schools should be about. Like schools should be not a place where information is passed from one person to another, but, but a supportive environment where people learn the practices that they need to function as a human being outside of school. Right. And that's not the way schools are organized. They're just not. Well, they're, they're, what they're organized is that in for 12 years of going through a public school experience, we're teaching them to just consume information. Mm. Right. And to, to have an expert in the room who says, this is the stuff you need to learn about whatever topic. Yeah. And then we set them loose at 18, right? Into school, into like the, the world where yeah. they're navigating YouTube and Wikipedia and all the other informational sources, Facebook and all the algorithms there. And they're being inundated with information that are is being presented by people who you know, coming off as being experts. Yeah, speak with authority. They speak with authority and they, and some of them are really flashy and, you know, and, and they have a, you know, maybe a nighttime news show on one of the networks. And they're like, this, this guy, I trust this guy, this person is presenting information, but we've never given them the skill set to really tackle that stuff and really wrestle with what it means to, what, what counts as evidence and how do you examine information? And, and, you know, and I know that's not isolated to science, but I think there's so many of the things that we're talking about today that are science related, you know, cause certainly I, I know that our English language arts folks are doing it and our social studies folks are doing it and yeah. our math folks are doing it. Um, but I think that if we all, if that's the charge and I think it is, then how we develop schools and how we develop, um, learners is different, radically different. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like fundamentally, if there was one way I would describe, you know, I keep, we keep talking about practice and the other half of the, the phrase is community. And so I really think, um, and by that, I mean, communities of practice, right? So that's the theory that's Laven Wenger's theory. Um, but but the idea that if we've thought about classrooms as communities, really as communities, not as like, I don't know, I don't know what they are now. Like they're, you know, they're, um, they're information, they're, they're low quality information transmission environments. I don't know. What do you, what do you call schools? I, like, I was, yeah, I don't know. I was, uh, it, they're not communities though. And in the sense that the, the members of those, the, the children in those schools are not treated as uh, members of a community. They're treated as widgets, right? They're treated as things that need to be processed through the system. And I, this is not uh, on an individual level. That's not what's happening. What I'm talking about is on a system level, the way right. that we think about it. So I'm not saying teachers are bad. Administrators are bad. Right. I'm saying we have a system that's established to treat children as widgets, right? There are specific outcomes for them at specific time points. If they don't meet those specific time points and specific outcomes, they're deemed deficient, um, and then something is done to them, usually remediation uh, to try and get them to this, to, to whatever this arbitrary point is that we've decided they have to be at, at a certain time. And <clears throat> that, that is not a community that is, that's not what that is. Yeah. And I, I guess that 
it's it's kind of like I, I don't want to come back to the idea that they're like little computers that were like uploading mm. new software, mm. new information. But that that's kind of sounds like what we're doing is, yeah. you know, and what we want is what we want to create individuals who when new information is, you know, presented to them, that they decide whether that's something that they want to upload or not. Right? right. And that's something and and that not every I mean, I guess that's happening to a degree right now that people are deciding mm-hmm. what information they want to upload. Yeah. But the but the systems that they're using to do that are sometimes flawed at yeah. best. We'll call yeah. it flawed. We'll just leave it there. Right. And so I think that, you know, that that means that we have to change how schools are structured. We have to change how, you know, we, we teach content. I think it comes also to the organization of school day, but the learning spaces is also pretty critical. Like how do we, what's the classroom look like? You know, I, I, I see those, those rows of, of chairs, like with, you know, individual desks and they're aligned in nice straight rows. That's not community based. Absolutely. That, right. That, that is a physical manifestation of not community. Right. Because <clears throat> you can't talk to somebody who's facing the same direction as you, right? If you're both looking, you know, towards it's the front, not board, a very productive conversation, right? It is not. And, yeah. and so <laughs> even if you do say we have teachers who do like the think pair shares, we turn and talk to a neighbor or something like that. That's still not, I mean, it, it's, it's better than not doing that, but it's not fostering community. It's fostering conversation. Yeah, right. And and community has to happen, you know, again, on all these different levels. So it's it's not how many minutes are in the period or which way are the desks facing or any of that stuff in uh, alone. It's everything, right? It's the whole package. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so trying to think about how to change schools towards that, I think is a really interesting challenge. I mean, I think I, I also want to be clear. I don't think either of us are pessimists. Like we're not like, okay, no. this is it. Like this, we have the panopticon, you know, we're living in Michael Foucault's, uh, Michel Foucault's probably. I don't, I don't know. It's a Frenchy <laughs> no, thing. It is. A uh, I, thing. I, I can't, I can't say French words. Um, but you know, we're, we're living in this world where that's what it is and we just have to accept it. It's like, well, you know, I think schools can be better and we can, we, we have constraints. Like we're never going to, I don't think, get to a place where the number of students to teachers is radically different than it is now. I just don't think that's possible. I don't think we, we can do it um, for all sorts of reasons, right? Not least of which is financial. But, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't work within the constraints we have and try and make the system better. And I think that's what you, where you and I are is trying to figure out like, how do we, how do we work as change agents to make schools better um, and, and be clear about what better means and try to not think about better as um, an assessment based answer. I mean, this, the, yeah. I well, think- I, I, th- I think that, so there's a couple of places I go with this. Cause like one is in our department, there's a couple, me and a couple of my colleagues, we have this pretty, um, Standard question we ask candidates who come to our, our campus and it, it relates to this. So it's, it's, if, a, if we are interviewing a Dean or associate Dean or somebody who's going to be in our apartment, the question we always ask them is, do we prepare teachers for schools as they are, or as schools as they can be or could be? And, and I think the, that's what we're driving at here is that we both recognize the schools as they are. Yeah. Right. And, and we are, we think that, we, we have to do the best to prepare t- teachers for working in that space. But we also want to have reform-minded people who are going to say, yeah, but you know what? We need to change things too. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I guess I go at it to, you know, I have my, my head in the clouds, but, you know, my feet are on the ground. Right? Mm-hmm. I recognize that there's this possibility of doing something better, doing something that, and it's not because, it's I have some sort of liberal agenda where I'm like trying to like, you know, take over kids' minds or anything like that. I want to arm them for making critical decisions that they're going to face in their lives. 
and about like all sorts of information. If they, you know, if they come at the information and come up with an evidence-based decision that's different than mine, that they can defend, that's the thing I want them to do. Right. Not because like, you know, some guy on television said that that's what they have to do, right. but I want them to recognize that, you know, well, where's that person getting that information? What, where's that information come from? Is that, that, is that a valuable source of information? Mm-hmm. You know, those are the things that I think science fundamentally teaches. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think it's exactly the opposite of um, wanting to like control kids down and make them right. like uh, the, but, but that's the, I think for many people that actually is the scary thing, right? Is that when you give kids when you provide opportunities for kids to use, to exert agency in the context, right? You're giving them power. And when you give kids power, that scares people, right? Because kids can use just like any other people, they can use that power badly. Um, So I think part of the question is like, we, we have to understand that, yeah, we're giving kids power, but what we're trying to do is give them power in a controlled way so that they learn how to use it. So by the time they get older, they use it in a constructive and productive way rather than a destructive way. And and you can't, you know, to your point, like we do this and it's not even just through high school, like a lot of a lot of people now go through college. And so they have to go they go through all the 13 years of K-12 school plus maybe preschool, and then they go four years of undergrad. So, and then they're 21 or 22 and their whole life, we've like put them in a box. And now we just take the whole box away and say, good luck. Good now luck. you have power. <laughs> You're, you just don't misuse it. I hope you don't yeah. like, I hope you don't, you don't misuse your power to do things like pretend that vaccines are, are, um, the government trying to chip people, right? Like that, like we don't, we don't do that. And, and I think this is, this is the problem is if you don't give people power their whole lives, and then you turn them loose and say, good luck out there. Like there's going to be a lot of them who can't handle that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we do need to think about schools as places where, you know, and I'm not talking about a lot of power. Like we're, I mean, the reality is like a sixth grader never has that much power, right? They, you know, they, they rely on their parents for almost everything. Right. right. So maybe over eating green beans, maybe yeah. it's the, they're like, yeah. I'm not going to eat these green beans. I'm not eating these green beans. I'm not going to eat them. Cause of science. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. So yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. How do we, how do we wrap this up? Like, <laughs> we, we, we spun <laughs> this. This was more out of control than usual. Like wow. we started so simply and yet yeah. here we are in, in crazy it, it, town. We are in crazy we're, town. We're like those two old guys sitting on the porch in crazy town. Like, Hey, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Well, you know, it's the, uh, we're the podcast of two white men, right? Yeah, uh, right. Two old well, white men. That, yeah. Uh, we're the committee yeah. of two instead of the committee of 10. <laughs> right. But I would say this, that, you know, our perspectives on this is, are, are more revolutionary than just like, you know, assuming the status quo. Yeah. I mean, we recognize the status quo. I mean, I think that's the thing that, you know, we bring that maybe some folks are, I mean, we're not hearkening back to some old time where things were better because we fundamentally see that it wasn't better. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no time in, in history. I mean, there might've been better funding for like science education, like after Sputnik, right. Mm. There might've been, you know, um, I don't know, better funded schools, but there wasn't access for everybody. There wasn't right. access to like every, like science specifically was a subject that, you know, white men, it was perpetuated. It was the yeah. thing that was perpetuated for white men to be successful. And what we're saying is that if it's going to be science for all, then we have to change and we have to understand what science for all means. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what that does for the citizenry, right. For everybody. Mm-hmm. I try as I'm like the third and last time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I try to go through it quickly yeah. just in case. Yeah, just run by it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But if we're going to do this, if we're going to say that science is for everybody yeah. and it's a, it's a, it's a skill set that is going to help them be better, better citizens and to be able to interact with like the information that not just stuff we know now, but the stuff we may know in the future, then that changes and we have to radically change how schools happen. Yeah. And it's, from- I mean, again, like I hate to say this word again, but I'm going to say it again. You know what word I'm going to say? It's a practice, right? It's practice. And, I and thought it was pr- coming. And practice <laughs> means that you, 
it turns out means you have to practice it. You can't, you can't be told how to practice something. Right. I can't tell you how to practice trombone and then do that for 13 years and then have you be a trombone player. Like you have to practice. And so if we want kids to, to be able to engage in scientific conversations, they have to practice. And that is what schools should be about. Right. So I think, you know, if, I think if we say nothing else with all 62 plus or minus uh, uh, two episodes of this podcast, no, it's 63, I don't know, whatever is that, right? Is that thinking about science as a body of knowledge versus a practice is a big problem with the way that schools operate. And if we're going to, if it's a practice that needs to be supported and practiced, Right. Mm-hmm. Then we have yep. to create spaces and opportunities and environments for that to happen. And our current state doesn't. Our current state of schools doesn't allow that to happen. We have we have that in in other subjects. We have that in in maybe in art and in music. We have that where like we, we very rarely do, you know, we have music classes where students just learn about music as a body of knowledge. They right. learn about music by practicing music. They, we have kids taking home recorders so they can play yeah. music on the recorders. Mary had a little lamb. Right. But, yeah. but still, it's it, no, no. We're, we're, right. What, what I'm saying is we recognize that in order to learn music, that you have to have some sort of like practice with it. And, and that's what we're saying with science. Right. But yep. what that practice looks like is not note cards, memorizing note cards and flashcards and saying, you know, kingdom, phylum, all that. It is not that. It is something different. Right. And I guess that's where we probably should leave it. I think we should leave it there. I think that's good. Just put it over there. Put it over there. We'll pick it up another day. Yeah. The the old man rants is over. (laughs) 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 Harumph. (laughs) Back when I was a boy. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So you have a joy there, Scott. Sure. I have a joy. Um, so this is a, a new book I'm reading. Um, it's called how to change the science of getting from where you are to where you want to be by Katie Milkman. Wow. Um, and Angela Duckworth is her, well, it's really Katie Milkman's book, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I read these books, I'm I'm a I'm a contradiction, Ollie. Just between you and me, I I I'm a contradiction, right? Because really, this book is on uh, superficially would seem like not the kind of thing I would want to read because it's it's really about psychology and a little bit about sociology. Um, but I think that stuff's really useful. I just think it gets um, over applied in some circumstances and leads right. to bad outcomes. But I find it really fascinating because I think I'm fascinated with human beings and how we operate in the world. So, um, so this is a this is a book about um, change science. She and Angela Duckworth, Katie and Angela Duckworth, have a have a center at Penn that studies how to make change in people, um, and it's it's fascinating. So, j- just considering we were just talking about change, this was this that's is a, uh, a it's a good it's a good uh, connection point and. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's a pretty pragmatic book in many respects. It talks about like how to change your behaviors about things, and I I'm always trying to change my own behaviors because I got a lot of bad ones. But uh, but yeah, I think have it's, you ever have you ever met Angela Duckworth? Is that some, somebody you've met? I have not. Have you? Uh, no, no, no. You know, but you 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 are you know in higher circles than I am. You know, you're oh, uh, man, man, uh, uh, rarefied air, rarefied air. You know, yeah. come on. No, and, I have not. I have not met Katie Milkman or. Um, Angela Duckworth, though, Katie was here at, well, here at Penn State. She was supposed to be here, but of course, pandemic-y things happened. Right. But she she was supposed to t- talk at the TLT Symposium, the Teaching and Learning with Technology Symposium here at Penn State. But And she did speak, but she spoke virtually. That's cool. Yeah. So I've, 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 I've heard both of them on pod, multiple podcasts. Sure. And yeah. So that's, they have their know. own podcast, I think. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So mine... You know, I, I feel like I go to the same wells over and over again in terms of joys and podcasts, you know, albums, music, books, comic books, comic books. I'm back to a comic book because here's what here's where, where I am. Um, I'm recommending the saga series. If you haven't read the saga series by Brian K. Have Vaughan. we not recommended this in all our well, time? 
I, I think we might have, but I'm going, okay. I'm going to recommend it right. again. Okay. Only because I've, I'm rereading the entire series. Um, and we're talking like there's probably, I don't know, 50 some individual chapters of this um, and or individual books, like comic books that came out, but they've been multiple, like in multiple, like, you know, separate books or, you know, big books, or you can get them in a variety of ways. Um, but they're being re like there's new issues coming out in January. So we thought, I thought, Wait, new issues like new, new issues new issues coming in january 2022 oh, and so i did not know so, that i know so now what you're gonna do is you're gonna go back and reread because that's what i did i'm in the process i'm probably like halfway through rereading them um so just to give you an idea this is uh it's written by brian k vaughn if you know um brian k vaughn he's he's brilliant he's a brilliant comic writer he's uh he's uh, he wrote uh, Why the Last Man. He's wrote Ex Machina and some other things. Um, it's uh, the artist there is Fiona Staples, who's just brilliant. And it comes from uh, like it's it's a little naughty at times. So I, I want to put that out there. If if you're going to read it, understand that it's it's really complex. That it's uh, based on different alien races that are fighting it out in a big war. Um, but then as you know, like, it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet. It's got a Romeo and Juliet theme to it in that um, a person from one race falls in love with a f- person from another race and they have a child together, but it creates this gigantic battle um, and search to hunt these folks down. Um, and it's, you know, they, they are traveling to escape these people and they get separated. And the narrator is the child, the child, uh, the love child of these two uh, individuals. And so she's telling the story. Uh, she's the narrator and you, she kind of gives you these little like tidbits of like, this is where things are going, or this is the last time I saw this person, or this is. And so, you know, that she ultimately is going to live through the whole series. But I thought, that the last book was the last book, which just was heartbreaking. It was a heartbreaking ending. Yeah. And then to find out just recently that they're going to continue the series. And this is after like years of being off. I think the last yeah. issue may have come, I don't know, maybe three years ago, uh, maybe that yeah, long we could, ago. We could look. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I had not heard. So yeah, I had not heard. Yeah, that, so it's uh, 54 issues that came out. Um, and I mean, it's just, I was, yeah, it's just, it's like Romeo and Juliet, right? It's a Romeo and Juliet set the setting in, you know, space, all these different worlds and it's just awesome. And it's a little naughty, but you know, there, there are times when you're like, Ooh, that's a little uncomfortable, but that's okay. You know, it's not designed for kids. It's an adult, you know, comic book. It's an adult adult graphic novel. That is just awesome. Saga, Brian K. Vaughn, Fiona Staples. Check it out. It's awesome. So good. Okay. That's awesome. I had not heard that, but I see now on Wikipedia, it says hiatus since July, 2018, returning January, 2022. See, there you go. I was right on. Yeah. So 2018, I sobbed at the end of of that, that last issue sobbed. And I think I'm going to be as broken up at the end, like we're reading these now because you just get so invested in these characters and yeah. And their, and their trajectories and how they, yeah, it's awesome. It is yeah. really good stuff. Check it out. All right. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Joy. yeah. And all about change. Today was all oh, about change. Oh, oh, about your change. joy, um, my joy, my joy, change, all of it. Just change. all change, 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 change. Uh-huh, there you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, wow. All right. I think, I think that's the exit line. That is, there it is. And that might be the theme. Uh, that might be the title. I'm not going to suggest to you what the no, title should be, but that right. could be it. Could uh, be it. I, yeah. It's my, or, it's mine to pick. I think it this, is this yours theme, to yeah. pick. Yeah. So the witty titles are always Scott's. The lame mm. ones are mine. Mm. So there you go. I, I don't know. I think I it know. is. I don't know. All right, folks. Well, Hey, thanks for being here and we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.